0: On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, I have (laughs) have Justin Sua. I mean, just that last name, Sua. Uh, He's a mental performance coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. If you don't know who that is, that's a a baseball team. I know I have a lot of listeners uh, in other countries uh, throughout the world. That's what other countries mean. I mean, obviously, you're you're throughout the world. I don't know why I said both. Uh, But we got Justin Sua. Of the Tampa Bay Rays, he's their mental performance coach, uh, and he's also the host of Increase Your Impact podcast. And he's here today to make an impact. Uh, we this is one of my favorite episodes, and I say this about uh, all all the all the guests that I have on. I don't usually say my favorite; usually, I'm like I'm excited uh, or uh, I can't wait to share this. But, but this is one of my favorite. Man, we just we we had we we bonded, we clicked. It was like we were boys from from high school to college or whatever and, and immediately we just took off. So uh, we talk about the six P's of confidence. I've had people messaging me about confidence, about h- how to build up confidence. and uh, and Justin Seward breaks it down for us. Uh, we also get into, he tells us an in- incredible story about bamboo. For those of you who are struggling, you feel lost, you feel lonely, you feel like a, this story about bamboo, about how to grow bamboo will will turn your life around, it will shift your perspective. Uh, he talks about how we want to feel better, not get better. And and of course, of course, he talks about how do we get better. But uh, but I love that. We want to feel better, but now get better. Um, and then he talks about there are people who are fountains and there are people who are drains. And he talks about the difference between those two. And, and sometimes it's not just about people being fountains or drains, that there are things in our life that are fountains or drains. So if you're struggling with energy, if you're struggling with motivation, you're going to want to hear that part of it. We talk about how to have a good relationship, uh, What uh, how he incorporates uh, the principles of a, of a growth mindset, how to respond to adversity. We talk about uh, raising his children and what are the lessons he wants his children to learn and how he's how to prime your mind for adversity that's right because no matter how much money we make no matter where we get no matter how long we meditate there's always going to be adversity how do we prime our minds for adversity how do we handle triggers a lot of us are struggling with environmental triggers and and then uh, uh, sensory triggers. How do we manage those? It's not about getting rid of it, but how do we deal with it? And, and we even get into visualization and how to incorporate that so that you can show up uh, to, to your as your highest self. And then he even we even get into how to create an environment to motivate yourself. A lot of us are struggling with getting out of bed in the morning, with just taking a shower, with tying our shoelaces, with Brushing our teeth and shaving, or or maybe you wanna you wanna write a book or start a project. So we talk about how do you create an environment. He calls it environmental design. He talks about being an architect of your success. I, I I'm I'm so pumped. I, I, I listen. I'm I, I'm about to listen to this episode again. Just talking about all the things that we talked about, and we talk about so many other things. I I, I just don't want to bog you down with. Let's get into the episode. And and of course go to thrivewithleo.com if if you're dealing with tragedies if you're dealing with traumas if if you're dealing with uh transitions in your life if you're going from being uh employed to unemployed or from married to divorced or 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 maybe uh, it's the opposite maybe maybe you're single and now you're going to get married and, and and you're worried about uh uh be, you know how to be a husband or how to be a wife or uh a, all those transitions, whether you're going from school into the workplace or, or vice versa, maybe uh, you're in your 40s and you're going back to school. Um, but there, all these different transitions, maybe you just became a father. Maybe you just had a, a little a little uh, mijo. Maybe you had a little mijo. You had a little mijo. And 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 so you are dealing with that. So go to thrivewithleo.com right? for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And let's get to tomorrow together. Now, with that said, let's get into the episode. How you feeling, brother?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Fantastic, man. We're already recording. Uh, did you have any questions for me before we get into it?
1: No questions, just uh just a statement. Appreciate your guys' uh uh your flexibility and understanding. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, man. It's adapt or die, right? Like that. I yes, mean, sir. that's what this whole thing is teaching us.
1: Yes, sir.
0: You know, I, I grew up with the 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 mentality of you know the strongest survive. You know, going back to the old Darwinism. But uh, you know, as I, I'm 44 now, and I'm like, you know, dinosaurs are dead. Cockroaches still running around. So mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is. You can't tell me a cockroach is stronger than a dinosaur. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's exactly what this time calls for: is flexibility, adaptability, and 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 moving on. But I don't need to tell you that. Absolutely, I hear you. I hear you. How many kids do you have, Justin? We have,
1: we have three. We have three. A third just turned fourteen on Tuesday. Uh, Twelve and eleven year old.
0: Let me ask you this: uh, You know, and I, I, I know you because you, you work with the Toronto Blue Jays, and your performance. Oh. And, i'm actually with the rays I'm with oh the Capri. rays my yes. see i knew it was the a's in there it was a it's still early you know i didn't have my green my green smoothie this morning it was the first morning i missed so my neurons ain't ain't they ain't, ain't firing the way they should be <laughs> oh, i love it i love it <laughs> um what uh, what uh are there principles or ideas or lessons that you are intentionally trying to instill into your kids?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so having three having three kids, and one thing that uh, that it's really interesting is they can have the same parents, same home, same food, and how different they all are. Just uh, how they respond to adversity and then how they uh, decide to go after their dreams. And one thing that we're, we we try to do, my wife and I, is to water their ambitions. Um, and I think one thing we always were, another thing we're trying to instill in them is this idea that, that you can learn from failure. And so go for it, go for it, even though it's never been done, even though you may feel uncomfortable, um, even though, uh, the the probability may not seem very high that you could achieve it, go for it. And I think a lot of times, uh and I think it came from both of our parents. Our sets of parents are 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 immigrant entrepreneurs, both my wife and I parents. And so we were raised in a home, homes, our respective homes, with parents who were who were leaning into adversity and leaning into uncertainty. And both of our parents are entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs. And my mom didn't even graduate high school and my dad had to learn how to speak English, and they created a multi-million dollar company. And so we're trying to instill those in our kids. Um, as well. And so, yeah, the, this this notion that, hey, you can, if you want it, go for it and learn from failure. And instead of having this idea of, oh, what am I, what are you going to be when you're going to grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do now? Do something now. If you want to create art, create art. If you want to be an, don't wait to be an actor, be an actor now. Don't wait to be a music producer, be a music producer now. And so uh, trying to provide uh, the tools for them to be able to just, yeah, water their ambitions and, and
0: flourish. I love that, man. You know, so many people do have this like future mindset and that is something that's been instilled. Uh, you know, your teachers, uh, uh, adults always telling kids, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And it's like, now is the time. Like there, there, yeah. there is no, no wasting. And I, so I love that. And I love the idea of watering. Why, why is it that you use the, 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 is it an analogy metaphor? I don't know. I haven't had my green smoothie. Uh, I, <laughs> watering the ambitions uh i mean you could be drowning their ambitions or flooding or you know but why watering yeah so for me
1: the reason i say water because i always love the analogy of, of of uh growing talent likening it unto growing a plant and i really kind of there's a couple of analogies out there uh one of the the bamboo uh the the, the law of the bamboo or you water the bamboo for five years or four years doesn't grow and then it grows 90 feet in in six weeks on the fifth year or uh tim galway has a book called uh, the inner game of tennis and in that book he has an analogy of a rose and basically when you plant a rose seed in the ground it's 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 at that process and you can't get mad at it that it's not blossoming and then once it comes through you you can't argue the or get mad at the rose whatever process it's in, but throughout the entire process it was always a rose even in the seed uh, when it was when it's when it was a seed and I just love that time and water and care that's what helps grow and so I think my wife and I just kind of stumbled upon it and if it's already out there it's already out there but we just said, hey we just Watering their ambition, we're paying close attention to what they want to do. We're paying a close attention to uh, what they're good at. Even if my son just started, he started drumming with his fingers once, like, huh, beats, drums. Okay, maybe he wants to get involved with that. And hey, let me introduce you to uh, to music, to hip hop, or listen to this producer. This is a guy named Timbaland. let listen to what he does with beats. And and so uh, just watering it and providing opportunities for them to see if they really enjoy it and see if they like it. And then if not, all right, let's. Let's, let's see what about this or what about this is constant exploration of of what they want to accomplish i think uh more of letting them flourish as opposed to forcing them uh into things that we like to do you,
0: you know one of the words that you use that i realize i've never used and i don't hear a lot of people using i love that you said you introduce your kids to things that they might be interested in uh, you know it's like you know meeting a person like hey hey jim hey hey bob like that you two have similar, you know, values. You like the same things maybe you two like to hang out, whatever. And it's the same thing with subject matter. I think a lot of people don't, uh, don't try things or attempt things because uh, uh, they, they think they have to go all in and it's just mm. an introduction, right? It's just, Hey, show up, see if it's something you want to do. See if it's something that you like, you might enjoy Try journaling, try meditation, introduce yourself to it and see if it resonates. If not, there are other things we, other people we can introduce you to. I love that idea of introduction. Shoot.
1: I love how you took it to the next level. I love how you articulated that because, yeah, I think uh, your question Kind of spurred that that comment and that thought, and it takes me to Jim Collins' concept of firing bullets versus firing cannonballs, and uh, and and meaning that if you're if you're interested in something, fire bullets, keep short things. Not, don't feel like you have to jump in entire things. And uh, for example, don't feel that like you have to write an entire book. No, start by start by writing having a blog. Maybe fire bullets. What does your audience like? What do you like to write about? Don't think of. Uh, creating this big thing. Hey, start small. Maybe you start with some tweets or whatever and see what you enjoy. I love that concept. And I think that's a, and, and I don't think we did it. I think it came more organically. I'm, I'm reverse engineering it right now. And looking back Hey, what did we do? And it's more introduction of different things. And, um, I don't know how, how familiar you are with my kids or what they're up to, but, uh, is that okay if I share that a little bit?
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay, so we have three children, and uh, one daughter, uh, our our middle, our middle daughter, who's uh, she just loves to. uh, She, we noticed that she loved to watch cooking shows. She just loves it. And so it was like, hey, let us introduce you to the kitchen. Uh, she loves to bake and she loves to do things and she just ran away with it. She is absolutely so we introduced her to master classes and she's just loving it. And we don't know how long she's going to do it, but right now she's enjoying it. Uh, we have our son uh, who's 14 and, and like I said, he was getting in trouble in school because he was – listening to music too much he just loves music and when we drive to baseball games his his soccer games i'd look in the back and see him bobbing his head to certain types of music i was like huh hey son do you know you can create these beats do you know that you can do this and people do that for a living and he started doing it and creating it and he started to produce some music on his own a garage band and we gave him some more technology and then he had better technology and then he started put it and we're like okay great you're doing this in private Hey, let's see what people think. Let us introduce you to Instagram. Let's put your stuff, start putting your stuff out there. Wouldn't you know He caught the eye of a guy named Timbaland. And Timbaland ended up reaching out to him. They ended up meeting, and now Timbaland is his mentor. Now we pull you had to pull him out of school. Not pull him, we did not pull him out of school. He's doing homeschool because now he's working with grown men and women. Now he's he's a music producer making money producing music for different artists. And uh, at the age of 14 and uh, in our youngest daughter, we noticed that she used to love to watch Disney Channel and she would put on shows for her family and and do fun things like that. And she's like, I want to be an actor. So we got her into acting school, got her acting coach. Long story short, got her with an agent. And last summer, she starred in her first movie. And her co-star was uh, Dwayne Johnson and and Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart. And she was uh, she was in the movie Hobbs and Shaw. Spinoff from Fast and Furious, she played the Rock's daughter in in that movie.
0: So basically, they are they gonna they're gonna be giving you advice. They they, they have heard, been they... giving <laughs> me advice.
1: They they've already been giving me advice. No, Dad, that's not how you do. Okay, good. Good to know. You teach me. <laughs> and so and so it's been neat to see. Uh, this is my favorite topic is talking about about um, of this and again and then we have a, a, another. A, a daughter who's doing the cooking and, and you don't know. And, and not to say this is a, this is a needle and a hate. Everyone's different. Everyone is different, but, and who's to say we, he might stop doing music producing or my daughter might stop acting, but we're just trying to le- le- introduce them using your, that word you said into things that they might like. And so, uh, so yeah, it's been a fun, fun, uh, uh, trial and error exploration with these guys.
0: I would imagine too, as a parent, that there, there's been an exploration uh, of y- of yourself also, because you know you as a parent, you have an idea of what a parent is, what they do, how they feel, how they how they navigate it, and you and nobody expects their kids to be working with Timberland or you no. know uh, act, acting with The Rock, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I, have you had to navigate some emotions with that that you, were did things come up for you that you didn't expect?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, navigating things even as uh, the industry. We're 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 learning with the kids. We're learning the Hollywood industry and and scripts, and to look at our kids and say we we don't know, like we don't know what to do. We don't know how a music producer charges money and and how it doesn't get stolen. Um, we even have to navigate. These are little kids. These are children, and all of a sudden we're getting these these much older hip hop artists calling our son. And in the middle of the night, trying to talk to him, we're like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. He's got school in the morning. No, you're not going to call us at 10 o'clock. This kid, he's 13 years old at the time. And and teaching our kids to give these guys, give, give these adults feedback. So many times I want to jump on the phone, but hey, Jerem, our, our son, he's the one who they're talking to. Um, when my daughter's on sets and to hear some of the language that's used or the topics that's discussed and to, to teach my daughter, no, that's not hey. hate you have to learn to walk away from those things to not be in that area. And so, yeah, we are, we're learning every single day and, and learning to create boundaries, um, but at the same time, not stifling creativity and getting in the way of their uh, current um, professions. I mean, they're, they're making money doing this. Uh, we're, and at the same time, realizing them, their kids and helping other people realize these are kids. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're learning along the way. And a lot of times we'll go to bed and We'll look at each other and say, uh, "We didn't do that right. we We need to do it better tomorrow we got we got to do better." and so it's uh we're, we're stumbling and bumbling along the way as parents
0: uh, i I love that, and you know it, it's a testament to the the energy that you put out there and the power of just introducing and exploring our what, what lights us up. Um, and you know you you talked earlier about uh how they respond to adversity. Can, can you talk more about that, especially, you know, yeah. during this quarantine and, 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 and in time of uncertainty for so many?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, just these little examples, I'll give you anecdotal thoughts and then just more articulate, more principles. Um, so my daughter, the first time she auditioned for a huge uh, talent agency in Los Angeles, we live in the Tampa area. Uh, we flew to Los Angeles uh, we walk in there, and this agency, their kid actors are on, I mean, they're on Stranger Things. These are the big, huge agency. And she auditioned in front of them, and they looked her right in the face, and they said, no, nope, just didn't waste any time. And they gave her very critical, in-your-face feedback, which that's the industry. That's that's life. And I was, and she was nine years old at the time. My delicate little princess flower, um, like um, and she was getting crushed. And I'm sitting there, and they're like, "No, they, they were good. They were tactful." I might be uh, uh, hyperbolizing this a little bit, exaggerating this, um, but we're um, but we're walking out, and uh, and I'm looking down at her, and I see these big tears coming down her cheek, and I said, "What do you think, sweetheart? What, what do you think about it?" And I didn't know what she was going to say, and she looked up at me, and she wipes her her big alligator tears, and she says, "I need a better coach, Dad. That's not going to stop me." And I just start laughing. All right, let's go. Let's do it. And let's just see how she responded. Okay, that's not going to stop me. Um, To see another child, a different situation where it's like, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. But also, but what's also interesting is you can see the same child fail in something else. Let's say it's math. And she doesn't show the same type of resilience in math that she shows in acting. And I thought that's interesting to me. Here you are responding like a champ in this domain, liberal arts, But you don't respond effectively when you're told you didn't do your chores right or when you're told you got an F or you got an F on the math test. So what is it? So that kind of opened my eyes to how we might be fixed or growth mindset, have a fixed or growth mindset to different domains. I might be very open and willing to take critical feedback in this aspect of my life, but not – that. no, I'm very – you don't criticize me in this aspect. And so – I think learning from failure really comes down to your relationship with it and and I think it comes down to how how tied to it are you do you view it as as feedback or is it part of your identity and the essence of who you are and which will derail you and I'm I'm still trying to peel that onion I think there are some basic uh, principles and models and theories and research that can explain it but I think when you look at the human person by themselves, it's so nuanced and so complicated that it's hard to really articulate. But I think some general principles on responding to adversity is adopting the growth mindset, learning from it. Uh, what, how can this make me better? The questions that you ask around it. So what am I going to do differently as a result of it? And also, now that I'm talking and you're, giving me, you're allowing me to kind of talk, uh, talk my way through this, I think my kid what we try to do with our children, and the same thing I saw with the military during my work with the military is to prime your mind for adversity. I think the more you're you're prepared to face adversity, the more you prepare for it, the more likely you more likely you are to respond effectively to it. So we did tell her when she went in, hey, just so you know, you might not get this, but we would love for you to get it, but you might not. And so but what are you going to do if you don't? We had that conversation with her. And maybe, I don't know, I can't quantify it, but maybe that helped her back, bounce back a little bit more. I know with military leaders, they'll tell their soldiers, they'll prime them. Hey, just so you know, your battle buddy might not make it out. Hey, we might lose this. We, the worst case scenario might happen. How are we going to mentally and physically prepare for that? Are you prepared to fix a jammed weapon? Are you prepared to drag your, your comrade out of war, if you got shot in the leg. And I think when you prepared for it, you're more likely to respond effectively to it. Uh, I know it's such a long-winded answer, but you gave me the, you gave me the runway to, to talk my, my way into a more, uh, a, a better answer.
0: No, I, I appreciate you you taking that time because I, you know, one of the reasons why I don't watch the news is, you know, they give everybody five seconds and you don't get the full 360 uh, explanation. And then you're, you're just wandering around trying to piece together uh, the, the answers uh, so yeah definitely you know one of the reasons why I I was excited to have you on is cuz I cuz you have a passion for what you do and what you talk about and the people around you in your life and one of the questions I want to ask you in regards to you know priming your mind for adverse, adversity and how like the military you know say uh you know we might not come back we're going we could lose this battle some guys might die do, do is that uh method work for would you use that for everyone or is there are there some people who can't handle that and 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 if there are people who can't handle it how do you identify that
1: yeah that's a great question and I think I always I always balk at the phrase um everyone or a hundred percent or the most of something the most important thing I always not, and I think I, I'm, I'm a little bit too uh, sensitive to it. I need to lighten up a little bit. Um, but but yeah, because I, 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 because I don't think there is a best or it works for everybody, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, there are some people when you do share, okay, you give them worst case scenario, maybe, maybe you don't want to implant that in their mind. Maybe they're just completely fine uh, and it's even better off ignorant to, Uh, worst case scenario or even possibilities of obstacles. Hey, you know what? This kid doesn't even know that he's being watched by millions. It's better not to tell him. Just go for it. Just go like go for it. And we even said that with our daughter, knowing that we didn't even want to tell her that, hey, this is going to be seen by millions of people around and The Rock is the hottest actor right now in all sports and Ryan Reynolds. And if you mess up, this can ruin your career. We didn't share any of that with her because we didn't even want to put that in her mind. And I think one of the variables is we just took into consideration is 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 intellectual or emotional maturity. I think that's one Um, maturity or and or experience. I think when I was a college baseball player my freshman year, I just went in there just like this cocky arrogant freshman because I was. Just all-state in California. I walked in. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know anything, and so I was fearless. I went in there. Lo and behold, I was a I was a freshman All-American. It was great. I didn't know about stats. I didn't know what my stats were. I didn't know what people were in, scouts were in the stands. What I didn't know any of that. They were watching. And then after that big freshman year, people told me, "Oh, you got scouts. Oh, now you need this stats. And if you don't if you don't pitch this many innings." Then I got scared. And from my sophomore year until my senior year, I was terrible. (laughs) I was in my head. I was. I wish they wouldn't have told me that, but I would have figured it out eventually through maturity. And so I think the second part of your question is how can you know? Like what do you know? I think the best people to ask in that with that, I think the only way you do know is if you do um, really – in an in-depth psychological assessment on it, I think that is, which is outside of my lane. If we have a clinical psychologist or, or a personality psychologist to really understand uh, people who are higher level, lower level, higher, or lower levels of, of neuroticism, uh, those who are arcs or maladaptive perfectionists, which is stuff that is, I leave that to the experts, let them do all of the testing and figure that out. I think they would be able to tell you and give you some, some, a, a better indicators or signals on who may or may not be um, uh, be able to adapt better or who you share information with or not. But I think to the lay audience, generally, if someone's just listening to this podcast with us, I think consider, consider number one, their age. I think you've got to consider, okay, their age uh, slash uh, maturity level. And I think you also want to consider uh, what, what level they're at. I think if you are w- with, with sports in particular, uh, the development of sports, young kids, they're playing for the love of the sport. They don't need to know a lot of the, the things that, that per- elite athletes need to know. And just let them love. I think it depends on what level they're at. If you're an elite – and also this leverage. What are the, what's the leverage? What, what are the stakes? If you're a surgeon, yes, you better know all the complexities. Uh, if you're a soldier, if you're an elite athlete, if you are a CEO, if you're a psychologist, if you're a parent uh, where the stakes are high. But if if the stakes are are, are low, young athlete, high school, uh, travel ball, even college, like, yeah, like, and some might argue that the stakes are really high in college sports. Um, but, yeah, I don't think you need to be as um, overt with Doing a pre-mortem and, and overcome or oh, oh, go over every worst-case scenario. I don't think you need to do that in those situations.
0: I, I love it, man. I, I love the the response to it. I, and I was asking because right now I'm reading uh, Genghis Khan's book, and mm-hmm. in it he, uh, it, it would it wasn't punishable, but it was very frowned upon to even consider defeat or a loss. Um, you can't even speak the name of, of the fallen men, uh, in his tribe. And he wanted, uh, his entire army to feel like they were invincible. And so it's fascinating mm-hmm. that, you know, there's, uh, there are different mindsets for different groups, for different people, for different, uh, you know, just depending on the, um, uh, what's the word, um, demographic, I, I guess, or culture, uh, mm-hmm. that works. So, um, but you know, working with athletes and and you know these are these are top performance uh, athletes. When we talk about performance anxiety, does that usually you just think about somebody scared to you know walk out on stage or uh, a little nervous? Are there ways that performance anxiety can show up that we don't really talk about?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. So first of all, performance anxiety once again that uh, that is something where I see day in and day out uh, whether it be um, an athlete who's really nervous before the game or nervous during the game, and so much where you see their hand shaking. They can't even take a drink of water because their hand shaking so much. Um, we do just for anyone listening to this, uh, just to explain for just for understanding purposes. My education is in performance psychology with an emphasis in. In, in flow theory, really, and ap- how do you operationalize it in sports? And so I, my role is, pract- is, is particularly on field, on court, in action mental skills training. So topics like confidence, um, of focus, arousal control, attention control, visualization, meditation, all that to enhance uh, performance. Now, we also have employed with our teams our clinical psychologists who help with more of the pathological, the deeper seated issues, which are uh, more uh, severe anxiety and depression, eating disorders, who can get into the weeds and personality disorders to really help the players with that. And so, again, I don't want to speak out of my lane or I don't want to convey the fact that, oh, I know I'm the expert on, on, on anxiety which I do deal with, I see it because I work in conjunction with our, in collaboration with our clinical psych on how to help. I, I'm letting, in, as they give me and help help me with that. with that. But to answer your question, I think it is also manifested, you can see it manifested by their habits. You can see it manifested by the, the cleanliness of a guy's locker. Uh, if, whether it's a met, you can see it manifested by how, if they show up late, to meetings constantly. And we call this executive functioning. Uh, you can see this, you can see uh, anxiety manifested with just as simple as just watching their, their, watching how they move throughout the clubhouse or the locker room or the office. Are they just erratic? Watch the way they, their, the shifting of the eyes, just are they constantly moving and going back and forth. Even how they talk, are they bouncing from conversation to conversation? You could even notice it by the questions they ask. Hey, who's going to be at the game? Or well, what's the worst case? Or what's going to happen if this happens? You can tell someone's nervous or experiencing. And I don't want to mix nervousness and anxiety, which anxiety could be an actual uh, disorder. But even the questions that people ask, "Hey, wh- what's going to happen if this happens?" Oh man, that's going to be that's going to be terrible. They may catastrophize a lot of things. So there's a lot of small, little is that if you don't pay close attention to, you, you won't be able to pick up on those cues or the signals that there's something under the radar that they're really nervous about or they're even anxious about to, to use their, your phrase. Uh, maybe they're eating differently. Maybe they're not sleeping as well. Um, all, those, all those little things. Maybe maybe they are procrast- doing, they're a productive procrastinator. Maybe they're cleaning their house or cleaning their shoes like crazy. Um, just to, as an avoidance, to do something they really should be doing. But, hey, I'm, I'm cleaning instead. It, it's productive, but they're really, on the outside, you're like, wow, that's awesome. You're cleaning your car or you're, you're cleaning your files in your computer. But the reality is they're avoiding something they really need to be doing because they're terrified to do it.
0: You know, I'm fascinated by, you said when you talked about the, the flow theory and confidence and arousal, can you speak to uh, what you meant by arousal and and uh, and and how that pertains to uh, performance?
1: Yeah, so arousal control. The first time I heard about it was in the, the term that way. Uh, put out that way was in the military. So what's funny about the mil? What I not funny, but what I like about the military is the language they use is very deliberate. It's a very deliberate language they use. And so instead of breathing or meditation, so meditation, let's take that word meditation. You tell a soldier, okay, we're going to do talk about meditating or breathing. They'll roll their eyes. Like, what are we doing? Why are we talking about? Because just the language. But instead of meditating, you can call it tactical breathing. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds cooler. Uh, so, uh, so just the language. So arousal control is basically... Your level of of arousal, your excitement or intensity. So, for example, it's arousal control is your ability to control your heart rate, or your breathing, or your emotions in any given circumstances. So, let's say let's say you are tightrope walking. I don't know when the last time anyone's been. I don't know why I'm using this example. Let's say you're tightrope walking. Arousal control obviously, your heart's going to be racing, your breathing's going to be erratic, your eyes are going to be darting all over the place, which are the physiological response to stress. Do you have the skill or have you practiced the ability to control your heart rate, to slow your breathing down, to quiet your eyes? That's arousal control. Despite the circumstance, can you regulate your heart rate variability? How can you regulate your heart, regulate your breathing to put you in this state? To perform at your best in this moment. You're not gonna be uh, you're not gonna be completely calm and going to bed, but in a place to where you're still controlled. Now, the opposite of that, let's say baseball. Let's say you're playing in a stadium, there's no fans, it's blazing hot, uh, the, the game's not even tell like on national television, both teams are in last place, you're on the mound and you're like, blah, when let's get this game over with. I don't even care. There's another situation. Can you control your mindset and your energy level to ramp up, even though you don't have that external stimulus? You don't have the fans cheering. You don't have the pressure of the World Series or the playoff picture. You don't have uh, the excitement of knowing that your family's watching this on television. But can you still get yourself up to intensity level to be able to lock in instead of being blasé? And So that's what I mean by arousal control. Um, A more practical term, we'd say, what's your hype number? And so on a scale of one to 10, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being really hype and really uh, energetic and intense, and one being getting ready to go to bed. On a scale of one to 10, given any given task, what number or what number range do you need to be in? So we'll take the example of a pitcher. We'll just use baseball just because I'll stay in my lane, baseball. Okay, pitcher, what do what do you need? And a pitcher will say, oh, I for me to be successful, I need to be generally at a five to six range. Perfect. Five to six range. Let's talk about when you're at a seven, eight, nine, or 10, what are the variables that can push you there? Oh, and then they list them. Great. Now, what are some triggers we can create to help you get you back down to a five to six to be able to perform at the level that you need. Now that's one guy. Another guy might say he's at he needs to be at a seven to eight. Another guy might that he needs to be at a four to five. So it's knowing your height number, having the awareness to know what that feels like, and also the wherewithal and awareness to know what it looks like when you're beyond that or below that, and then tools to get you up to that number or to bring you down to that number. And that is arousal control in a nutshell.
0: Man, I'm so excited! <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm quite aroused. Learning about aroused. Anytime I learn something new, it arouses me. I'm like, ooh, oh, that's exciting. Uh, like my girl, she just got. Uh, she just bought his master class yesterday, and yeah. and she didn't tell me until like ten o'clock at night. Man, I almost stayed up all night watching all, all that. I want to learn all the things like that. that I love it. Like uh, uh, I, I forget it. what they call it. A uh, um, a biblio people who like love, who are like attracted to knowledge was like, whatever. Anytime I'm like, Oh, I just learned something. Um, awesome. The, uh, now let me ask you this. So does that, cause I know you, you, you work more with, you know, the on field performance. Uh, do, do you apply that to waking up in the morning also?
1: I do. It's funny you say that. Um, I do. I absolutely do. So, Uh, there's a phrase that, that I live by I always talk about is this phrase, "Win the morning and anytime I'm working with someone who is not in the professional setting, one of the things we always talk about is how a lot of these elite professionals, not just athletes, but anyone, they have these elite habits. They have elite. If you want to be elite, you got to develop and cultivate elite habits because habits are the bridge between where you are and where you want to go between good and great. And one of the most important habits, in my opinion, when I, if this is on one of the most, you can argue in any, a lot of different things, is I think how you, living on purpose with purpose. Like you only have today. Like there's only 86,400 seconds in the day and what you do with today is all we got. And I think one of the way to live on purpose with purpose is, it, is to win the morning. And by win the morning, it's what do you do in the first 90 minutes you wake up? I guess so regardless of where you are and what time zone and wherever you travel, to create a 90-minute habit routine that will put your mind and your body in the best position with the most momentum to go on to win the day, to execute these things by design and not by default. And so, I and and what I mean by that is what are they? Is it, is it reading? Is it getting your green smoothie? Is it meditating? Is it working out? Is it making your bed? Is it eating breakfast when it's not? And, and then identifying what it's not. It's not laying in bed and scrolling Instagram. It's not dragging and keep hitting the snooze button. And, and it takes a little while to cultivate, and develop what our own. Uh, but to, as you win the morning, I'm a firm believer that when you win the morning, it just gives you that momentum to just attack the rest of the day. It's kind of like a rocket launching. The most energy is taken in the beginning and then it just flows as it gets up there. But a lot of energy and power is needed in that in, in the, on liftoff. And, and I always get criticized by talking like this because I'll get people email me or text me and they'll be like, I disagree, I disagree. And I don't understand what they disagree in so they continue, they go, you need to sleep, You need you need to sleep. And notice how I said nothing about sleep. I think when the morning happens after elite levels of sleep, eight to 10 hours, get your sleep in. I'm not saying when the morning is wake up at three in the morning. I'm not saying it's wake up at five, wake up at six. I'm saying after a good night's sleep, and it might be three, five, six, eight. You decide on when you wake up. After you wake up, what you do then. But I, I, I anyone who says, oh, I don't sleep, I grind, I'm like, okay. That is not what their literature says. We need to sleep. We need to have good sleep hygiene. And uh, I am a proponent of of, uh, of getting a good night's rest. And whenever you wake up, whenever that is, and I'm not judging people who wake up at 10 at, at night or 10 in the morning. Sometimes people, their schedules are different. If you wake up at 10, you can still win the morning. What are you going to do the first 90 minutes you wake up at after you wake up, regardless of when you wake up?
0: Man, I'm going to steal that that <laughs> word literature. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so pretentious to say to somebody. <laughs> That's not what the literature shows. Yes, yes. yes it's, it's not it's not it's, it's not been proven in 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 the works of arts of <laughs> of the researchers. He said literature. He didn't say research. He said the literature. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Yo, uh, you know, I, I want to backtrack a little bit because you talked about what your hype number is, and, and you said uh, in terms of like if somebody's at a five and you need them at a seven and, and triggers. Like, can you give us some examples of, of triggers to get someone uh, up to a seven or eight? Yes. And then examples of how to get them back down to a five or four?
1: Perfect. Perfect. I'll give you an example. So there was a guy who was in the major leagues, he got major leagues. And when you're in the major leagues, like the big show. That's big time. And he was with the Boston Red Sox. So one of the biggest markets in the world, Boston. And so it's pressure every single game. Every game is pressure. He got injured. And next thing you know, he's rehabbing. And when you rehab, you go through the minor leagues. And the minor leagues is nothing like the major leagues in terms of one big thing is, it is the pressure. There's not a lot of pressure there, especially – If you've already been in the big leagues and now you're playing in the minor leagues and you're working to get back up. And so this player goes on to say, Justin, I got to talk. He goes, we got to talk about my hype number. I was like, he goes, I know how to, because we've already talked about it. He goes, I know how to get myself down to where I need to be. But Justin, how do I get myself up to where I need to be? I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. He goes, yeah, when you're playing in Boston, I'm at like a – I need to be at a seven and I'm, I'm always trying to calm myself down. Now I'm playing in the minor leagues and I'm at – the situation is like a three. I need to get myself – and then, and so when he realized that he's down at a three and he's ho and ha and hum and, and he's getting rocked by these minor league teams and he's like, shoot, I'm not even locked in. I don't even have – I don't have the intensity. I'm going through the motions. And so we sat down and we identified some some triggers to get him up. Number one was music. He ended up finding some songs. I was say, let's start with music. Some songs to get him absolutely on fire. So he came up with this playlist, as simple as that sounds, a playlist to get him hype as he's getting ready to go. His heart rate starts beating and his breathing starts getting heavy. So that's number one. Number two, we used visualization. And so all he did was he visualized playing in Boston and he, he, the sounds and the sights and, and, um, and he even like took himself back to, to, uh, cause the mind is like a time machine and anyone listening to this, if I told you, make yourself mad or make yourself sad, yourself sad, you can do it. All you got to do is drum up a memory, drum up a memory and you can, you can immediately trigger your emotions. So that's what he did. He drummed up a memory of performing under pressure and that got him up. Another thing that he did, which is um, not for the faint of heart, is he ended up getting himself mad. So he ended up finding some some Twitter comments that people said about him that was not the kindest to say. Let's just to say it safe, where people were just crushing him. You're terrible. You're horrible. And he wanted to prove them wrong. And that lit him on fire. He wanted the show. And so he would read those before he'd go out. And now he has his little uh, a packet, his little three triggers exercise to get him up to that number he needed to be at. I don't remember what number it was. And so it could be, it could be something as simple as that. So I would ask that person, okay, if you had to get yourself up, what would it be? I know another person, it was straight physiological. They would just do like five burpees just to get their heart rate up. You would do sprints, okay? I just need, ooh, I just need to get a little sprint. I just need to get a little sweat in. I just, that gets me up and ramped. It might be drinking that green drink. It might be nutritional. Maybe it's i like an energy drink or, or coffee or what, I don't know. But we try to look, we looked at the nutrition aspect. We look at psych, psychological principles. We looked at music. And we let the player or the individual decide. And sometimes they don't know. It's trial and error. It's trial and error. And I've had people say, yeah, that worked. And nope, that didn't work. And it's so different for everybody. So I would say get creative.
0: Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Cause when I, you know, I played college football at Ball State and in the locker room, you had guys who uh, needed the, like the hype music and the rap and the whatever else. And you had the one guy who had to like beat his chest and walk around. and, And then you had guys we were just kind of joking and, you know, it was just, it was just like another day at the office. It's like, it's almost like, this is what I do. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, we're going to go home and, and that'll be it. Um, exactly. and, and I, and I realized for me that, uh, getting hype before shows or games or whatever, uh, it, it, it shuts me down. It's no bueno for Leo flowers. I, mm-hmm. I I'm optimal, uh, moving from a state of calm. I guess that would be a five. I don't know if that's a zero I, or a five or whatever. <laughs>
1: whatever you want. <laughs> I love that, and you bring up an incredible, incredible point that I, I want to just kind of accentuate is just the point that everyone's hype number is different. It's so different, and it could be different depending on what you're doing. And so I, we have, again, athletics is the best example because it could be could be more distinct and and and, and uh in showing you so there's a guy you might let's say a catcher he might have a certain height number behind the dish behind the plate catching maybe his number is at a seven seven to eight behind on defense but on offense when he's hitting maybe it's a three and i've seen guys who try to keep the same height number in different places and nope it, it hurts them. And so they have to realize that, oh, it's different. I've seen some coaches try to force their, their belief on on motivation or their hype number on players. They think, OK, everyone needs to beat their chest. Everyone needs to get hype and start yelling. Like you said, for Leo Flowers, that's a no bueno. No, that, that's actually going to hurt that player. It's going to get him too amped up. And he's not, he's going to, it's not, he's not going to play very well. And so I think it's very, I I love how you said that know yourself, know what works for you and know what works for you might not work for you in the future or for another task. And it might not, you might evolve and change over time. And so I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah. One one of the, the, one of the great lessons, uh, you know, a lot of the great lessons I learned and I'm sure you also is through sports. I remember in high school, one of my coaches, uh, um, I, you know, I was I was like you, like I was in the papers. I was, you know, I was doing well, and um, and going to our first game of the of our senior year, I didn't have any stats, no tackles, no. no I played defensive end, and I remember at halftime, you know, the coach he, he gave a speech to everybody and blah blah blah, and then to me specifically, he goes, "Hey, Flowers, where's that kid I've been reading about in the newspaper?" And mm-hmm. that's all he said. And man, I had the best second half. Like I had like three sacks, ten tackle. Like I just went off. I just like lit up. And wow. it, it taught me uh like I don't do well being told what to do or, you know, you gotta get hype and bo- Like I I respond great to great questions. And he asked mm-hmm. me a really great question. And so I I've I've been intentional about asking myself better questions to, to move myself. And I, what are some great questions people can ask and, and questions that you have asked that have gotten results?
1: Oh man, I, I love that. One of my favorite axioms is if you want better question or if you want better answers, start asking yourself better questions. And I think where I see even myself, but I see people struggle, including myself, is the questions we ask ourselves. Like even take this, this situation we're all in this coronavirus, COVID 19. Uh, why is this happening? Why are they doing that? Why are they not doing that? Why? Uh, just all of these questions. Number one, oh, most of them we can't control. And number two, whenever you ask a question, Our mind is more powerful than Google. It's going to go out and it's going to come back and give you answers to substantiate that question. It's going to be – if you ask yourself, why am I so bad? And your brain's going to be like, okay, I'll go find that answer for you. And then come and throw – slap you in the face with all the evidence on why you're so bad. And I think more powerful questions are – could be questions that get you to explore just generally speaking – Questions that will get you to problem solve. Questions that will get you to look at it from a different perspective. Questions that will get you to focus on what you can control. Specific questions like: what can I learn from this failure? How can this make me stronger? What am I going? Okay, yeah, the situation's terrible. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. Maybe worst case scenario. And now to ask, then to ask yourself the question, okay. I can't change it. It's not going to change for a while. What am I going to do about it? That is a powerful question of what are you going to do about it? And so I think uh, you you have a lot of these different questions that you can ask yourself. And I think questions that will get you, again, to explore and, and questions that will help you maintain and Maintain the most important position in your life, which is the driver's seat. How do you ask questions that will keep you in the driver's seat, that will keep you uh, – make sure you have a sense of control? I think those are the best – generally speaking, those are the best questions to ask.
0: Wow. I, I love that uh, that visual of the questions that will keep you in the driver's seat versus feeling like you're at effect as to everything that's going on around you.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's it's. I, I think so. I think I, yeah. I, I think yeah because it becomes very very easy to put ourselves in the passenger seat and feel like a pawn and feel like we're being acted upon as opposed to having the ability to take action and, and respond to any given circumstance.
0: You know, I, so I have to ask you this because some somebody just because uh, you brought it up and and somebody just texted me and not texted me but sent me a message on Instagram asking me. To do an episode on this but since i have an expert they they asked me about confidence and, and you talked about how you help players and people with confidence can we hear that word thrown around a lot can you can you explain exactly what confidence is and then how do we and and i don't even know if this is the right question how do we de- develop it build it display it have it yeah
1: yeah that's a great question i think if you ask any given person, they'll give you different answers. Even re- even researchers, even the, the the renowned experts on confidence um, will give you different definitions. My op- my definition of confidence, I keep it really simple. Your belief in your your self belief in your ability to execute a task, your belief in your own ability to execute a task. And that's self-confidence or um, but so for those who are interested, I would study, uh the the research is called self uh, um self efficacy theory by robert or albert bandura so he's really the founder of or the one who really explores self efficacy aka confidence um and it really comes down to and i'm going to i'm going to package it basically the theories and the model that he has and i'm going to give you the 6 p's to confidence and i think it revolves around these 6 p's um, and i i and this is how I articulate it with some of the people I work with. So the first P is present performance. We we already know that. So a lot of people are like, okay, uh, my confidence, the source of my confidence comes from success. The more successful I am at a task, the more confident I'm going to be at, at doing it again. And that's just, yes, the more success I have on the football field, the more confidence I'm going to have on the football field the next time. So that's present success, present performance. But now the question comes, how do you sustain or even have confidence when you're not currently having success? Is it possible? Is it possible to have confidence when you're not doing well in the moment? And the answer is yes. And that's where the other five P's come in. The second P is past performance. One strategy that you can use is to go back into a time, as we already talked about, how the mind is like a time machine, and relive a moment when you did execute that thing, or go back to a time when you did per, did perform at a really high level, or you or or you did perform to to your expectations. So going back to rely on a past performance. Now another question might be: um, What if you don't have a past performance? <laughs> what what if, what if you don't have a robust data data set to go back to, then in the, in the, going back to our new word of the day, literature, uh, in the literature, they they call it vicarious learning. And so what you can do is you can study and be inspired by other people who have succeeded in this task. And instead of looking up guys like LeBron or, 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 or Jordan, who you might feel, okay, I, I, that's, that's next level. Look at someone who's closer to your level, someone who could actually relate to who might inspire you. so that's that's the past performance., uh, the next one is preparation. Preparation uh, it just uh, breeds confidence, knowing that because you might be able to lie to other people, but you can't lie to yourself. And there's a term that we have in sports called fake hustle. you can tell when someone's fake hustling or just hustling to be seen, but you can fake other people out, but again, like I said, you can't fake yourself out. so, Crossing your T's, dotting your I's, absolute preparation uh, in every domain, in every aspect, mentally, emotionally, uh, tact, uh, strategically, just all, all of the leads, um, being able to know that you, you, you did everything you can to prepare, uh, that breeds confidence. The next one is positive thoughts. Uh, being po- you can't underestimate the power of positive thoughts, and having a positive mindset is a competitive advantage knowing that our working memory has limited space. You only have so much that fits in there. And so to fill, when you fill your mind with optimized, uh, 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 with purposeful and effective thinking, it leaves less room for negativity, doubt, and reactive thinking, restrictive thinking, thoughts to enter, not because they don't exist, but because there's no room. So you can't underestimate a programming and filling your mind with positive thoughts. The next P, uh, the, the fifth P, fourth P, um, or, or fifth, however you look at it, is um, is positive people. Surrounding yourself with with fountains, people who are fountains of optimism, fountains of creativity, even fountains of calm, fountains of re- relaxation, who just ah, fountains of fun, who just can help you keep things in perspective. And the opposite of that are drains. These are the people who suck the life out of the room, who are pessimists, who have a problem for every solution who 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 think worst case scenario all the time and um, are just negative. So surround yourself with fountains and if you live with drains, listen to podcasts listen to listen to leo flowers listen listen to David Goggins, go listen to music. We have the internet. There are tons of fountains on social media and lastly. The last P that will that will incite confidence is purpose. When people have a why, when you have your purpose, that will that will just light your heart on fire. And I think people who have purpose are people who have that confidence. To say, you know what? Okay, when you have a why, a purpose, it just it gives you the courage to do those hard things, to to embrace the boredom of consistency, to 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 ask someone to do something or, or, or reach out to someone who you wouldn't otherwise think of it's, it's it, with trembling in your, in your heart, like, Oh, do I do it? But you do it anyway. Cause your, why is so strong. Your purpose is so strong. And so I think that's, those are the six P's. But my last comment on confidence is don't be enamored by it. It's fickle. And the example I give is, is, I always say, how many of you have ever gone into a test when you were in school and you felt really confident and uh, and you you went to take the test and you did terrible? And all the hands go up and they say, okay, how about this? How many times have you gone into a test and you did not feel confident and you dominated that test? Like, yeah, I felt that. So what does that teach you about confidence? And then you see the blank stares. It teaches you that confidence is not a predictor of future success. You might feel incredibly confident and you might perform poorly. You might feel no confidence at all and perform incredibly great. And to rely on that that the, this proverb, a bird can rest peacefully on the branch, not because of its confidence in the branch, but if it is confidence and ability to fly. If you're gonna have confidence in anything, have confidence in your ability to overcome failure. If you have confidence in that, like that's going to carry you through many difficult things. So I just just went. I this is my favorite topic. I just went on the sofa.
0: Oh, I, I love it, man. That's what we here for. That's that's what, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. That's right. I mean, don't don't be apologizing for being passionate. You know what I'm saying? We ain't come here for that. We came here for the truth. I want I want all the nuggets you got. You know what I'm saying? Let's I want go. all of it. Don't be, don't be don't be
1: holding back don't be horny i know don't man hold- you know, right. i said i take that apology back you're right leo you're
0: right because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah and you know and that and that that brings up what, what i love is uh, i want to i want to tag on to the why uh and because i want to emphasize that the, the the importance of having a strong why and taking the time out to really figure out why um you know, somebody talked to me about, <laughs> and this goes back to what you were saying, tactical breathing, right? And yeah. I was practicing tactical breathing, and I read that, uh, you know, like the, the, the Navy SEALs or the snipers, uh, they do a seven five four 5 4 breathing, where it's, they exhale for 7, hold for 4, and then inhale for 5, or something like that, right? Yep. And I was like, why does that number matter? Why like it just seems like some random like they just doing it to you know just a sound it could be five 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 it could be five three two whatever, and then I saw on Instagram just yesterday somebody posted that you want your uh your inhale to be shorter than the exhale because the inhale is a, is a stress signal to the body when you uh when you're scared when you're in fight or flight, we inhale we are or we stop breathing. But nobody exhales when they're scared. Nobody exhales when they're when they're anxious. And they and so she was like that's why you want the exhale to be longer than your inhale. And I was like, now I have a strong why. You know. Yeah. So so when you have that strong why, it really helps you double down on on your practice uh and your habits, which leads me into the next question uh, you're not big on motivation, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's, it's interesting. So in the past, people asked me, Oh, how do you, how do you motivate these, these athletes? And so I understand it is, it's human. It's motivation is, is there with all of us. There's different, you can dig deep into it. Uh, you, there's a term called self-determination theory, Uh, There are things you can do to enhance motivation, which is very, very important. Yes. The demographic I work with, we don't talk about motivation ever. I've never once spoken with them about motivation because they are so driven and so disciplined. It's more of the other topics. However, with other populations, yes, we talk about motivation. I've, I've sat with coaches who have said, Justin, how do I motivate my players or, or how do I, how do we motivate our employees? And the reality is it's not necessarily, it's the question you don't motivate people. It's how do you create an environment to where they motivate themselves? And the research shows, yeah. So it's, it's, I am, I, I, have recently been talking a lot about motivation, not necessarily have a disdain for it or I'm anti-motivation. It's just with my demographic, we never really talk about it because uh, a lot of times, which can also also be arguable, or that motivation is a feeling. A lot of times people say, I don't feel motivated to work out. I don't feel motivated to, uh, to make that phone call or to do that thing, whatever it is. And in elite sports, it's, or anything you want to do, if you really want to achieve a goal, you can't, it doesn't matter how you feel. You just focus on discipline. It's just, you do it regardless of how you feel. And that's where a lot of these, uh, elite performers—they just learn how to navigate that. Hey, I don't feel. Uh, I've seen athletes in my face say, "Oh, I hate this," but they go really hard because they're like, "Yeah, because because maybe they're because not maybe because they're driven. They want to be the best in the world, so they're motivated to be the best in the world. They're not motivated to do this workout, but their why is so strong to be the best in the world, and they're disciplined to achieve that. They know that okay, I better get this done, even though I don't want to do it. And so that's what I mean." by uh, uh, motivation in terms of uh, discipline trumping motivation, because a lot of times you're not going to feel like, like doing things that are required to be great.
0: You you know, what's interesting is I found that uh, saying this sucks or I don't want to do this, or even uh, cursing motivates me to do the thing I don't want to do. It's like to almost like let the air out instead of feeling like I should be I think there's a bunch of uh, shooting that takes place where we think we should always be excited and motivated and feel like doing it. And we kind of get down on ourselves uh, when we don't want to do the thing.
1: Oh my gosh. I am so glad you said that. So you see all over Instagram, uh, uh, like, like self-talk. Oh, like, Oh, speak positive, speak great. And, and I'm all for that. I think that's great. But there are some people out there when they say this sucks, or I hate it, or even I suck. Even for, That actually takes that person to the next level. It makes them want to try even harder. And it's all individual. And you, who am I to say, no, Leo, don't say that to yourself. But then I would ask, wait, Leo, what does that do to you? Oh, it kicks me in the gear. It makes me want to be better. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Great, go do it. And then a lot of times, not necessarily what you say, but, but – the the emotion behind what you say and, and the purpose behind what you say. And in addition to that, there's a phrase that we call caboosing. So basically what caboosing, what we say to some, so there are some people who say, they do say, oh, this workout is hard. Oh, this is, oh let's just use that. This workout is hard. And so when I hear that, and then I see kind of their shoulders start to slump a little bit. Oh, this workout, or they start to hang their head. And then I'll come up to them. I'll say, finish the sentence. And they'll look at me like, what do you mean? I said, you put a period there, finish the put a comment, finish the sentence. And then they'll be like, what are you talking about? This workout is hard, but what? Oh, this workout is hard, but I'm gonna do it because I wanna, I wanna, I wanna lose 10 pounds. There you go, great, go get them. And now it's like, okay, great. That yeah, it is hard, but what? Then you can enter your your why behind it. Oh man, I got a lot of work today. But you know what? Once I finish it, I'm going to have to get the, have. I'm gonna have the, be able to spend all this time with my family this weekend. So we call it caboosing. Uh, or, man, I'm terrible at it. I'm, um, I'm not good at this. Caboose it. Yet. Comma, yet. Yeah. I'm not good at it yet. I'm not good right now, but I'm going to get there. That, that, and so be, there's a, some little things that you can do to be able to help yourself um, speak more powerfully to yourself.
0: Man, I love that. I love that idea. I have uh, two last questions. Uh, One more is uh, you you talk about the, you know, setting up your environment in terms of discipline and and setting yourself up for uh, for success. Uh, How do you do that? Can you give us some examples?
1: Yeah. One thing I like is uh, is this the term your environment is the invisible hand that shapes behavior. And I don't think – I think that one of the best places to look is the grocery store. You walk in the grocery store and the bakery is in the front, the pharmacies in the front. Uh, If you want the common item like milk and eggs, they don't make it convenient for you right there. What do you got to do? You got to walk all the way to the back of the grocery store, past the bakery, past everything else in order to get there. When you look at the cereal section, all the kids' cereals are at kid eye level, all the healthy stuffs at the very top. When you go to the checkout stand, uh, what do you have? You have candy and sweets there because they, they're trying to catch you right there because that's where you're more, most susceptible. Maybe your willpower is down to get that little uh, that sugar kick and that, that impulse buy for some sugar. They are genius. They are genius on how to design uh, the, um, the supermarkets. It's called nudge theory So or environmental design. They want to nudge you based on your environment, they want to create the environment to nudge you to make certain decisions. And we can take that and use it in your own home. You want to create your environment so that you make easy habits, uh, uh, good habits easy to do and bad habits hard to do. Here's some concrete examples. And these are no brainers. Uh, Something as simple as if you have a tough time working out in the morning, but you want to work out in the morning, leave have your workout. Lay your all of your workout clothes right there, so you eliminate the step to having to even wake up to go look for workout clothes. I've even known someone who they shower at night and they sleep in their workout clothes for the next morning, just so they have no excuse. They're like, "Okay, I already have them on. My clothes are on." That's what environmental design is. If you want to, let's say you want to be a more avid reader. Let's say you just want to read more. Grab five books. And put them around your house. Put one on the coffee table. Put one on the dinner table. Put one right by your nightstand where you make grabbing a book easy. Just make it easy for yourself. If you don't want to watch television, take the batteries out of your remote control. Go in a kitchen and put them in a drawer in a kitchen. And then if you want to watch TV and you're getting comfortable in your bed – and you're like, I don't even have batteries in my remote control. OK, you know what? Let me just read. Here's my book right here. <laughs> and so little, subtle, nuanced things like that to architect your, your – uh, construct your environment to help you lean you towards making decisions that will help you get one step closer to the, a better version of yourself.
0: I love that. Uh, is there anything that we haven't discussed that that you feel like people need to know in terms of enhancing their their uh, their mental performance?
1: Uh, no, brother. You, we, I think we we, uh, we did a lot of great things. I, there's so many things we could have talked about, which is the growth mindset or journaling or uh, the intricacies of meditation and when, but, uh, but yeah, that might, maybe this part too, but they can go look into it. I would, I would, I would definitely look, look into some of those things.
0: Well, I would definitely love to have you back on, man, but I just, I felt like we, we could, we could boost this thing. Uh, I don't even know if I use that right, but, (laughs) I feel like we could go on for hours and I was like, you know what, man, y'all, y'all had enough out there. Y'all, y'all the <laughs> listeners, y'all got it. Y'all got enough homework to do. Y'all don't need more. Right. Y'all got, y'all got to come back next semester. You know what I'm saying? Go get the books, go get the journals, go, 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 go architect your, uh, your, go get you some fountains. You know what I'm yes, saying? Sir. Y'all got some work to do, man. So don't, don't be mad that I'm cutting this short. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I gave you a lot of homework and it, um, but but Justin, I asked this question, and like you said, you know, you're you're a performance coach. You're you're not, you know, you're not a psychologist or psychiatrist. But I ask this of all my listeners, because always, uh, i you know always imagine that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of of ending their life. Uh, before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Wow.
1: Um. It's crazy because this question hits home for personal reasons. Uh, we love you. That's it. We, we love you. We love you so much. And um, you're valued. And we need you.
0: That's it. Justin Sewer, thank you so much. Plug Plug all your things, man. Where can people find you? Where can people link up with you?
1: Uh, Instagram at Justin Sua. All my stuff stems from there. You'll hear my podcast, my Twitter account, all that kind of stuff. I like to uh, just send everyone there, and you can find all my other stuff. Uh, that's the hub.
0: Yeah, yeah. I heard you're killing it on TikTok too. Ain't, ain't you a bit old for TikTok? Is it? Is it really you, or are you? Yo, you been- <laughs> man, it is, that is
1: a whole other story. My kids are doing it, and all of a sudden, I jumped on, and now I can't. Uh, I need to jump off. But uh, yeah, I had a, a, a one of my things went viral. And then now I'm like, wait, okay. Now I get. Now I got an audience. Now I got to give them the goods. Now I got. Now I got to. <laughs> got to keep this train rolling.
0: <laughs> Brother, it's been such a pleasure to have you, man. I, I appreciate you taking this time out. We're definitely gonna have you back again, man. Thank you.
1: I'm honored, Leo. Thank you so much for this conversation.
0: Absolutely, um, listeners. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you guys. Uh, for you guys tuning in, you have to go get a coach, go get therapy, go get counseling. Call the one eight hundred SUICIDE number. Uh, you can go to thriveatleo.com to work with yours truly one-on-one. Let's get to tomorrow together. Peace.